0: What is going on, folks, and welcome to the Rufus Rundown. I am your host, Lucas Ferreira. Episode one, first full show of the Rufus Rundown. Get it kicked off, starting with last week's pick seven and three on the rundown. Last week, told you bet the mortgage on them, and I hope you did. Would have won a lot. So uh, first, let's start it off with uh, my favorite calls of the week. My favorite plays. And if you guys checked out the Lions-Packers game. Popped up on red zone once or twice. Nothing going on in it. No, no implications to the playoffs. But one of my favorite uh, media people, I'd have to say, Pat McAfee was on the call with Fox, and here's how it went down. Well, that'll bring on Matt Prater for a twenty. Oh, oh. touchdown! Let's right go, open. Levine Toylolo. Let's go, Prater with a touchdown pass has the NFL's longest field goal. He's a man who's a legend. He's kicked long balls. He's kicked game winners. And here in Lambeau in December, gives a cadence with a leg lift like Peyton Manning. No laces and delivers a dime in the corner of the end zone for a 13, about to be 14-0 lead in Green Bay, Wisconsin. What a beautiful moment for the brand. Adjusts himself calculate it, nice short step like Peyton Manning says on the leadoff, and deliver a dime in the corner of the end zone. And that was magical for the break The former Colts punter with an incredible call there, calling the touchdown before it was even completed. <laughs> um, uh, I hope to see more of Pat McAfee out of the booth. He's one of my favorite people to listen to, one of my favorite podcasts uh, to listen to, so go check out the Pat McAfee podcast if you can. And my other favorite call was from the Buffalo Bills game. A certain defensive tackle going out with a bang. Here's how that went down. The other things, of course, Kyle Williams scored a touchdown in this Miami game last year. He was uh, teasing with us as he's back out there. He says, obviously, our coaches don't want us to score. Otherwise, they'd give me the ball more. Well, let's see if he gets a carry here we're, and a send-off. We're going to see it. I'm telling you right now, he's out there for a reason. They may try and throw the pass out here in the flat. Come on out here in the flat, give him the ball. It is. is awesome i could see it coming i kind of felt they were going to come with that bootleg i'm surprised the miami players couldn't stick that out a little bit better nine yards on the catch for kyle williams (laughs) he's got that he's not letting go of that football look at that he's great stuff out of buffalo there uh, great to see a big man do some big things in Buffalo, announcing his retirement before the game, his teammates mobbing him. So awesome stuff there as the Bills trounce the Dolphins because... No one circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, it never gets old. That ne- never gets old, Chris <laughs> Berman. But uh, the rest of the NFL, we go around uh, the Patriots, the dominant over the Jets. I'm not going to go crazy over it. It's a Jets team with nothing to play for. I get it's a divisional game. I'm not going to say it's not impressive because they just did utter- utterly dominate that game. 38-3. Um, Indy beat Tennessee. Like I told you, they were going to... They, they're they rolling into the playoffs on fire. You know, Houston look out, but we'll get to that. And Also, Baltimore clinches in a very emotional win over the Cleveland Browns. Heartbreaker for Cleveland, but um, while we're on the subject, I, I want to talk about how lucky Cleveland Browns fans are. Yes, been a while before you can consider the Cleveland Browns lucky, but I think they're incredibly lucky. And that's because they have Baker Mayfield at quarterback. So Baker Mayfield um, didn't play until week three versus the Jets. Terod Taylor goes down injured and Baker stepped in and, and went off. Um, 200 plus passing yards, 1723, in a comeback victory over the New York Jets. Um, he sets the rookie passing touchdown record, beating out the likes of Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck for that title, um, which is just incredible in its own. The fact that he didn't play till week three, and on top of all of it, your head coach and offensive coordinator fired in week eight, and then Greg Williams and Freddie Kitchens take over. Um. Not many rookie quarterbacks have to deal with their coaches getting fired. Normally, the two are coming in together, or the, the, there's a coach there that's been there for a while. There's a system. you got to get used to that system. It's, I mean, not many come just right in and start. Darnold was one of them. He's kind of struggled a little bit, but Baker, they were expecting to let him sit a little bit, and Terod Taylor goes down with the injury, gets thrust right in, and he produces. So he's getting used to the system. He's playing well, and then week eight, boom. Uh, Hugh Jackson, Todd Haley, that issues behind the scenes, both are fired. Sonami a head coach, your offensive coordinator as well. So Kitchen steps in and the offense looks better under him. I mean you have a defensive head coach now, or interim head coach and Greg Williams, and the team gets fired up. They want to play underneath Greg Williams and Baker plays even better than with Hugh Jackson at head coach. Had that stare down on the sideline during the the Bengals game with Hugh Jackson over there and everything that he said in the in the media. And I, and I necessarily don't have a big issue with that. Football is a very emotional game. I mean, there's some stuff I think he can limit himself from. But at the end of the day, I think that there's a certain amount of swagger, a certain amount of confidence I want out of the quarterback position. And, and Baker, Baker has that. You know, I, I want to see some of that stuff out of Baker because he has that much confidence to go out there and play as well as he does. And, like, the whole grabbing his crotch thing against Kansas and stuff, they disrespected him. I mean... There's a lot worse that he can do there, and he goes out and performs. He backs it up, and and he's a worker. His work ethic is incredible. He's a two-time walk-on, and not only is he a two-time walk-on, he won the Heisman as a, as a walk-on. So, the critiquing of Baker and his personality, it, it it gets old. I mean, there's some stuff that's like suggestive, but at the same time, he does a lot. He's doing a lot for that community. He's really changed the entire attitude that Cleveland has around football. And I, and I think this this kid is the guy for the next fifteen years. I think Cleveland's finally figured out the quarterback uh, situation, and I'll I'll touch on what they have to do next to really set themselves over the edge. But um, what I want to talk about now is the NFL playoffs wild card round preview. And first, we'll start off with the Saturday games. Uh, we got Indianapolis traveling to Houston. Indy rolling in hot at ten six, same record as Houston and. Had Houston lost to Jacksonville, Indy would have had a shot at being in. But not only that, um, if Indy had not gone for the win with Frank Reich back there in Week 4, Indy would be in or not if, if it ended up as, as a tie as it did versus U- Houston walking off in that game getting their first win. And I think this game, as big as it is for anybody, is Bill O'Brien. Um, I mean, you know, Houston started off 0-3 and they've made this great run and they've won the division. Um, that's great. And Bill O'Brien deserves some credit for that in coaching, but and Houston's a little banged up right now, but this is huge for Bill O'Brien. Bill O'Brien, you're coaching it against a rookie head coach that you've already seen twice. I mean, understandably they've seen you twice, but you I've had a lot of experience this league over Frank Reich as a head coach. This is a must win for you and your franchise to set it over the edge. I mean, you should you, you should be sitting as a two-seed. You should have the first-round bye, and you should have home field until well, the, possibly the AFC Championship game. Um, you should have that first-round bye right now. You blew it against the Eagles. That's a must-win. You need to keep that two-seed. You need to make New England come to you if New England can get out of the their the wild-card round game. You need to make New England come to you. Uh, um, it's a must-win for Bill O'Brien, and it... At this point, he might be in the hot seat if he doesn't get a playoff win. If he loses in the wild card to Indy, which I think is a very good possibility, Indy should have tied, probably should have beat him. I mean, Indy's banged up in Week 4. You don't have Marlon Mack in Week 4. Marlon Mack's banged up. Andrew Luck wasn't really fully healthy with his shoulder until uh, Week 7. And they still hung around in that game. I mean, Indy started 1-5. Um... Indy's caught fire now. Their defense playing incredibly well. The rookie, Darius Leonard, leading the league in tackles. Incredibly, incredible talent that Darius Leonard is. Andrew Luck's fully healthy. He's slinging the rock. I think Indy goes into Houston and upsets him here. But I think it it comes down to uh, preparation. Both teams have seen each other twice. I think Indy's outperformed Houston on both times and not even being that healthy the first time. and Indy's, Indy's healthier. If Marlon Mack back, a fully he- healthy Andrew Luck, T.Y. Hilton's good to go. I mean, Houston's missing Demarius Thomas, Kiki Cootie's still dealing with that injury. Lamar, um, Lamar Miller's a little banged up. So, I think Indy can definitely go to Houston and upset them here. It's a one and a half point spread. I I like Indy to move on to the second round of the playoffs over Houston. And then the other side of the game, the later game, it's Seattle traveling to Dallas. And what I think should be a very good game, I think the better game is the the early game. This could turn into some sloppy football, but that's exactly why I like Dallas in this game. Dallas wins shitty football games. They may make you play sloppy, disgusting, unenjoyable to watch football, but they they pull it out. They get the W. Um, I like the way Dak Prescott played last week. Um, Not the stat line itself, but Dak is incredible at the end of games. Not so much in the beginning, and that's not even really play-calling. What frustrates me the most with Dallas is their play-calling. They, they, The play-calling is terrible. Uh, they, they, The lack of running the football in the red zone with Ezekiel Elliott is so frustrating just as a football fan, never mind as a Cowboys fan. Um, but that's just Dak going out and making a play. And I've said it for a long time, Dak is one of the top athletes on your football team. Let him go make a play on his own. You design, not even design runs for Zach, Dak, but just, you know, drop back, make plays with his legs, he's an he's incredible athlete, and he's probably top th- five, maybe even top three on that team as an athlete, let him go make a play, you, you hand the ball off to Zeke, and, and if not, Dak, don't force any throws, let him make a play with his legs, he's one of your top athletes in your team, let him kind of interact with the offense, just like Russell Wilson does in his own sense, and Mahomes and then you see all the mobility of all these quarterbacks let Dak do that that that's one of his strengths is, is the athleticism that he has let him go out there and perform like that um, I like Dallas and that one because of the home field advantage they've played very well at Jerry's World and for a team as young as Dallas uh, third youngest in the NFL I think playing at home is huge for them I think it's necessary and I think that's why um, Dallas can pull it out not that Seattle's story this year hasn't been great. Not rebuilding, but going after it again and really catching fire as of late. But I think Dallas's defense will have be able to have some, some success against Chris Carson in the Seattle run game, and it'll be a, it'll be a battle between um, Dak and Russell Wilson. But I I think that Dallas is be able, is going to be able to run the ball a little bit. Their offensive line is as dominant as it is. They're getting some guys back from injury. And I think Dallas's defense stays hot, so I like Dallas over Seattle. And then we have Chargers-Baltimore on Sunday. And I like the Chargers. And here's why I like the Chargers. Uh, Lamar Jackson's played all of his teams once. They've run this wing-T, high school-type offense. The quarterback's running the ball 20-plus times a game, and it's it's almost all designed run plays. But there hasn't been a team that's seen Lamar Jackson more than once yet. Obviously, you have divisional games. Teams see people twice. They make adjustments. Well, the Chargers have already seen him once. They struggled a little bit. Now they're seeing him for a second time. Now, I know there's that history there in the playoffs, the Chargers, not to trust them, but I do. Um, they, I, I understand they have to travel to Baltimore, but this will be their second time seeing Lamar Jackson, and I think that they come better well-prepared and they're able to, you know, slow Lamar Jackson. I'm not saying shut him down totally, but they're definitely going to be able to slow him. And by slowing him, it will force him to throw the ball more. Now that's where things get interesting. I think he can develop into an accurate passer, but as of right now, he is he's very subpar in his passing game. I think it's a short lease with Lamar in this game. Um, if I think Joe Flacco, there's the opportunity for Joe Flacco. To be seen in this game, if he struggles throwing the ball and they can and they slow the run game to that point, but them seeing having seen Baltimore already once and they see the second time, I think that is huge in the case of the Chargers, and that's why I like the Chargers to move on to the next round. And then in the last Sunday game, it's Philadelphia traveling to Chicago, and does the Nick Foles train roll on? And I'm not sure. It's been incredible to see what Nick Foles has done, and I've been harping on the fact that I think Carson Wentz is a guy, but it really makes you think at this point, why is, is Philly playing so much better? And I think I have the reason why. The players on this team understand that they had the shot, they still had the shot, they'd underperformed, hadn't played their best football all season. I mean, you're playing with a quarterback with a fractured vertebra and on top of it recovering from an ACL injury. And Carson Wentz still put up statistically his best season as a pro yet. So, I, that's why I think Carson Wentz is a guy moving forward. But in terms of right now, uh, Nick Foles leading your team. And a lot of those guys understand that they have to play better. When, when your starter goes down, that they, they can't rely on it as much. And that they have to really up their production. They have to run better out uh, routes. They have to make better out cuts, in cuts. Everybody has to block better. The defense has to play better. The backup's in. And they're pulling out all the stops late in the season here. <laughs> And Foles, you know, has played very well again. It's a great story. But he did get banged up last week against Washington. I mean, a lot of completions, but also an interception. And he looked a little more human. And it's, it's that fourth game in a row. We've never really seen Foles put together four great games in a row. And it's big for backup quarterbacks. Two, three weeks. Ryan Fitzpatrick can do it, but it's that four or five weeks. Teams eventually figure it out. And you're going up against the number one scoring defense in the Chicago Bears. So... This is it. This is the prove-it game for Nick Foles and the Eagles. Can they go to Chicago and upset the Bears? And the Bears have surprised me a little bit, too. I mean, they they clinched the division against the Packers. Big emotional win. They're dancing around, doing everything. Two weeks left in the season. It kind of scared me a little bit. But they they travel... And then they go on the road. They travel to San Francisco, who's been very good at home this season. Nick Mullins and the Niners were very good at home this season. And, and they go in there and... They pull out a low-scoring victory, play clean football, and not only that, in what we thought was a game where they would rest most of their guys, they go out and they get a commanding dominant victory over the Vikings to knock the Vikings out of the playoffs. The fact that they showed up on the road those last two games that really didn't mean that much to them is why I like them to beat the Philadelphia Eagles and run the crazy run of Nick Foles and the the defending champs but I I like the Bears in that one and up next I want to get to the Pittsburgh Steelers drama what the hell is going on in Pittsburgh Uh, this is a team where I thought they'd got a lot of the drama out of the locker room with the Le'Veon Bell situation I thought this team at a point was a Super Bowl contender because they'd gotten rid of that distraction they were focused on playing just their football. The brand, the new brand they wanted to bring in. James Conner was running the ball very well, and all of a sudden, it just hits a brick wall. James Conner goes down to injury. Um, they they start putting this shitty loss to the Oakland Raiders. Uh, this big win over the Patriots, and then the collapse in there. They couldn't. They they had a tough schedule to ended out. I mean, you had a three game lead in the division, and you blew it. And all of a sudden, this Antonio Brown thing pops up where he has a tantrum at practice and throws a football at Big Ben or throws a football at someone in some heated argument. And listen, I've played football, played high school football. I've thrown footballs at teammates. Uh, one of my favorite teammates, one of my favorite players, the best football player I've ever played with, the school touchdown record holder, Ryan Baker. used to hum footballs at people. And it wasn't because of the fact that we did just to be an asshole just because we didn't like people. The, the shit that they were doing that we didn't like. There was a lack of effort they were putting in. There were things that they weren't doing the right way. They weren't playing the brand of football. They weren't acting the right way. And like I said, football is an emotional game. And it was practice. It wasn't like an in-game or anything. They just like practice like them. And yeah, people got a couple footballs. People got pissed. People got emotional. And that's because they weren't given as much as we were given. I don't think this is the case with Antonio Brown. I think it's quite the opposite. Him thinking he's a franchise, this big money player. According to reports and past teammates that this he would walk by the weight room. So it's more of lack of effort on AB's part. And the fact that he can't deal with getting replaced. Or he's not wanting to do a certain thing because of the money he's making. And just him being kind of a diva. This isn't a thing where people aren't given enough of I don't think it's a thing where people aren't giving enough effort around him he's getting pissed off he wants more out of people I, I think it's quite the opposite I think he's given the lack of effort they're putting a lot on him to you know be better and give more of a shit honestly and I I just think he's not at that point I think he's unhappy with the organization and I couldn't tell you why the Steelers, why he'd be unhappy with the Steelers organization the amount of a like talent around him Um, and what they should be able to do for these next couple years, at least while Big Ben's still quarterbacking. But it'll be interesting to see what happens there. I mean, and my question is right now is, Mike Tomlin's an emotional coach, right? He's not the X's and O's guy. He's an emotional guy. Why can't he control his players' emotions? Why is it such a drama show over in Pittsburgh? If he's such an emotional coach and he's supposed to be able to relate to the players and get them going and playing for each other... It, and that's his strength not next to nose guy why can he not control his players why are we still paying him to do his job if he if his job is to you know control his players and have the right staff in the call place for him and he can't even do that it is a mess right now i mean if Antonio Brown in the third year of a 72 point7 million dollar deal and if they were to cut him it'd be 21.1 million dollars of just dead money money they still got to pay that's that that it's far too much. It puts all the power in the hands of Antonio Brown. And even if you want to trade him, there's still a chunk that you're going to have to eat of that. And there's, you're still going to get a, a limited price back because other teams hold all the leverage. Listen, you can't cut him. We want him. But we're only going to give you what we want to give you because you, you have no other choice but to either play this guy or take the chunk of that money or accept this trade and get him out of the locker room. So, a lot of leverage is held by everybody except the Pittsburgh Steelers here for a team that should be in the, should be all, well on their way into the playoffs and rolling towards a Super Bowl right now with the talent that they have. But these two sideshows of Le'Veon Antonio Brown, they're just addicted to drama. I mean, you have the two, you have probably the most talented, the best wide receiver in the NFL, and then another top 10 one in Juju Smith Schuster. And you have Le'Veon Bell, one of the top backs in the league. He's sitting out. You bring in James Conner who makes the Pro Bowl. He still plays incredibly impressive football down the stretch for you there. I and mean, picking up the injury, it was tough. But it's just, I can't even process it of how much drama goes on in this organization. Especially with an emotional coach at the, at the helm. And he can't control his own players. So I, I don't know how that works. I don't know how it ends. It's incredibly tough to tell and it's going to be nearly impossible for Pittsburgh to sue that over uh, properly I mean Tomlin, the owners, they're all going to have to sit him down and try and figure out what the hell is going on the whole fake injury report and everything now too, apparently he went for MRIs and everything but there's going to be a a whole boatload of mess that they got to clean up there in Pittsburgh next I want to talk about the head coaching carousel 8 coaches fired in the NFL or 8 openings I should say and here's why I think the perfect fit for the Cleveland Browns is Mike McCarthy, former coach of the Green Bay Packers. And here's why. He revived Brett Favre's career. Favre towards the end of his career, they, they revived his level of play. So that's one. Mike McCarthy was able to revive it, like change, change the way people kind of, Favre did things a little bit and was able to revive him. And then right after... Was able to say, you know what? We like this kid, Aaron Rodgers, young QB, molded Aaron Rodgers to what he is now, the uh, undoubtedly the most talented QB in the NFL. Um, he's worked with Aaron Rodgers and Favre, both unique personalities. You know, if you're looking at Baker Mayfield, the young Baker Mayfield, and his unique personality and how he acts and does things. He's worked with Aaron Rodgers before. I mean, obviously, it, it didn't look too good towards the end, but he's worked with unique personalities at the position. Um, then you got to look at the coaching staff. If he keeps on Greg Williams and Freddie Kitchens, which I'd assume that any coach that takes over in Cleveland would do. I mean, the players there really like playing for them. I can't imagine them saying, you know, sayonara to either of them. Um, you have a really good base of the coaching staff there and the base of a very, very young defense. Uh, athletic, young defense forces a lot of turnovers with Greg Williams there. You have a lot of cap room to add guys. Not an incredible amount that we're used to, but Cleveland still has some cap room still, and still has a draft. Here They can add a lot of weapons to the draft as well. You have your franchise quarterback in Baker Mayfield. He's worked with the unique personalities before. He can work with Baker in his kind of egotistical attitude if you want to say. I think... Baker's going to work his ass off, and I think there's a total scenery change here in Cleveland. You can't just say, oh, we're just going to bring an offensive guy and let Baker light it up. You can't just bring in some young guy who's creative because this team hasn't tasted this much success in forever, and it's going to be hard. They haven't even won anything. I mean, they didn't even have a winning record this year. Did they do a lot better than zero wins? Yes. As a matter of fact, seven wins and a tie better than what they had last year, Um. But that needs to be harnessed. They need to build off that. They cannot take a step backwards. And I think Mike McCarthy is the perfect fit there to be able to control that franchise and get them to where they need to be. I mean, he's had a history of success just this past year with the struggles. But uh, the one year that Aaron Rodgers had a defense, won the Super Bowl. I'm not trying to compare Baker to Aaron Rodgers, but Mike McCarthy's going to head there with a young athletic defense that he can build with, as well as a very young and talented quarterback in Baker Mayfield. And that's why I think Mike McCarthy is the best fit there. That's the best fit for Mike McCarthy. And it's the best fit for the Browns to bring Mike McCarthy in there. And if you want the best job available of all the NFL coaches in the open positions, I think the Broncos undoubtedly are the best job. And here's why. They played the league's toughest schedule this past year, Vance Joseph. They go 6-10. So they have the 10th pick in this year's draft. Um, Case Keenum is a competent quarterback. Did he play that well this year? No. But he's in the second year of his two-year deal coming up this year. And he's going to play a lot better in a contract year, tail end of his career. You'll be working under John Elway. John Elway is going to give you a lot of help. Not to mention the home field advantage you get of playing in Denver. You have some young guys. You've got Bradley Chubb, Yvonne Miller. You have a lot of pieces around. Phillip Lindsay. you have a lot of young pieces you can build with. A competent quarterback. So I say this draft, this year, whoever comes in, you you don't go right for the quarterback. This is a weaker quarterback draft, uh, as we'll get to in a little bit. It's a weaker uh, quarterback draft. I I say you build the offensive line, you you, you boost your secondary a little bit, you add add the pieces you need to add for the years to come. Like receiver to replace Sanders with the Achilles injury and Demarius Thomas who you traded away. You need a deep threat. Add a, couple, add a receiver, add, build the offensive line, add to the secondary, add some depth in this team, then next year you can pursue the, the best quarterback draft that we're going to see in a while with Herbert, Tagovailoa, and Trevor Lawrence. And while we're on this subject, we'll get to that now. If you're an NFL team that needs a quarterback, not only this year, but most likely it's going to be more or less next year, you cannot screw this up. Not only can you not screw up the coach hiring now, you need to have the right coach and they're ready for your quarterback to come in. You cannot screw it up in this day and age. It's an it's a quarterback league. Look at guys like Mahomes, Russell Wilson, Andrew Luck, Drew Brees. You cannot mess this up. Trevor Lawrence, Tagovailoa, Herbert. These are the guys you need to get your production out of. If you get one of them, you need to hold on. for These guys are going to be in the league for 10, 15 years Lighting up with the right coach in the right system. I mean, Jared Goff, look at how he played under Jeff Fisher. Terrible. Everybody thought he was a bust. You give him a, you give him a decent head coach, a great coach in Sean McVay. And he goes off and does this. As he struggled recently, yes, but the elevation of production from having a creative head coach like that is impeccable. So these guys need help from the coaching position, but their incredible talent's coming out. Not a lot of QBs that wow me in 2019. Dwayne Haskins pretty much being the only guy that kind of has that flash for me. Everybody else is kind of behind. Drew Locke from Missouri, strong arm kid. You can build with that a little bit, but not a lot of impressive QB talent coming out in 2019. 2020 is the year that I'm looking at as I'm watching the college football playoff. And it's incredible to see Tagovailoa and Trevor Lawrence. I mean, Notre Dame didn't even belong in the game. It should have been Georgia. It should have been Ohio State. Notre Dame, until they play in a conference, has no right to be in any type of playoff or anything like that until they have to get up for eight or nine games and have a team looking at them saying, we're, we're finally going to beat them this year. I mean, every time Alabama plays to every year, Texas A&M kids are going to sleep saying, we're going we to upset Bama next year. We're going to upset Bama next year. Notre Dame doesn't have that. They get USC or BC. Oh, BC saying they're going to you know get up and play Notre Dame or, or USC. That's one or two games a year where there's another team that every waking moment they're thinking of that rivalry with with Notre Dame. Every team that Notre that Alabama wakes up to play within whether in con, I mean in conference wants to knock them off. Notre Dame doesn't have a conference, doesn't have those rivalries, doesn't have those teams they play every year and have to see and create those rivalries with, aside from, like I said, BC or USC. So until they, you know, get themselves into a conference, they have no right to be in those games. And as it showed, Trevor Lawrence with an absolutely dominant performance, this kid is the real deal. Looking like Ronnie Bass, Ronnie Sunshine Bass from Remember the Titans. Well, he can make that pitch coach. And he can also sling the rock. It's been incredible to watch this kid. as a true freshman, a, a true freshman doing what he's been doing. No turn, no no interceptions in the red zone this year. Just inc- such an efficient quarterback as a true freshman. Whichever team strikes gold with him next year, it's it incredible. And if you're a team that gets him next year, you cannot mess it up. You need to have the right coach, right system in place, an offensive line to protect him. So build now. If you're a team that doesn't want to take a shot on Haskins now, like I think the Giants can take a shot on Haskins now, or the Jags because they have other pieces around, like Saquon, or say the Jacksonville defense that they can, you know, even some struggles from him they can build around. But teams like the like teams like the um, Raiders or any team like that that want to go for that quarterback or the Broncos, you have. Some time here is where you don't really need to take a shot in these kids because you're not really built right now to su- be able to succeed with that one piece. That's not the only piece you're missing. You have There's not a lot of expectations coming out of some of these teams. So this year, I'm not saying tank it, but build. Prepare for the future. Because Tua Tagovailoa and Trevor Lawrence are the future of this league. They're both mobile. They can move. But the arm strength and arm talent, and not only the arm talent, the IQ of these quarterbacks... Is just special to watch. That is the same with Justin Herbert, very very intelligent kid out of Oregon, and he can he's he's very mobile. He doesn't rely on his on his legs to make plays. He's not a Lamar Jackson type. He can throw the ball very well. And for me, it's not about the mobility that sells me. I mean, you could be a mobile quarterback, but not and, and be terrible. You can move around. Like want Terrell Pryor moves around the pocket all he wanted. He was wasn't close to an NFL quarterback. Um, I need you to have the IQ out of the pocket to be able to make the right play, like Mahomes or Mayfield, where they get out of the pocket, but they just don't, you know, throw it around. They have the IQ to make the right play, to ad-lib, to street ball, if you will. So that's what I like about this kid, Herbert. They say he's an incredibly intelligent kid, very high IQ player. So the fact that he can not only get out of the pocket and create extra time, but... That when he does so, he has an incredibly powerful mind to make these great explosive plays that we see so much of in the NFL. Um, so that is all the time I have for you guys on the Rufus Rundown today. Um, tune in next week for Episode 2. Full website launch going to also be on its way within the near future. I'll keep you guys updated. But other than that, everybody have a Happy New Year. This is Rufus from the Rufus Rundown signing off.